When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello folks, it's David here and I would just like to take a moment to ask you to go and check out our sponsors NordVPN. Internet security, very important. I'm sure it's something that you're concerned about as well. Me, I like to know that I'm the person in control of my data. I live on my phone and the amount of stuff I do on it from banking to documents to private messaging, I need to know is secure. We all know that there are bad people out there who will come in and uh, try and get our details and um, spend our money for us. NordVPN prevents that, especially if you're using public Wi-Fis or you're using Wi-Fis away from your home. If you use NordVPN, you are safe and protected. It also allows you to take short holidays to places if that's ever required. It's a brilliant product. I use it every day and highly recommend it. And you can get a tremendous offer if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand that's nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand or use the code heart and hand to get up to 70% off your nordvpn plan you'll also get one additional month for free risk free with nord it's 30 day back money uh, 30 day money back guarantee so all you need to do if you don't like it is just say nope and you'll get your money back so go and check them out as i say it's very important you'll get peace of mind Go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand. Good evening, welcome back to Heart and Hand Extra. This is your second free show of the week and I am your host, Adam Thornton. Tonight's show will look back at a much better week for Rangers. Uh, 2-0 win against Hibs, following hot on the heels of the weekend's 5-0 win against Hearts. And we'll also look ahead to Sunday's visit to Annan in the Scottish Cup. Joining me for tonight's show, we have James Forrest. James, how's things? Not too bad, Adam. Thanks for having me on again. Um, happy to be able to talk about well, certainly the most recent couple of games and how things are looking a little bit better, certainly. Yes, they are. I'm not quite sure we're, we're, we're over it uh, in terms of uh, the bad couple of weeks we had. Obviously, we had the three games we, we didn't win. Aberdeen, Ross County uh, and Celtic all away. Um, I was going to say we're going to get fortnights like that, James, but thankfully we don't tend to get too many of them and hopefully they don't become a, a, a habit at all. Um, myself and David had a pretty sobering extra show last week where we, we laid out where we thought we were. I have to be honest, I didn't see uh, this week coming. Certainly, I mean, the results, Rangers beating Hibs and Hearts at home isn't isn't a shock, um, but the, the performance levels, particularly Hearts and, and large parts of, of Hibs, I think the performance levels have been pleasing for me. And when you dig into that, the reaction from the players, I guess, in terms of how they've went about these two victories, James, for me, has been has been great. While it's always great to get that six points and we desperately needed them on the board, I think that part of it is more pleasing for, for me. 
you know, the reaction of the players, but also the reaction from the coaching staff, because clearly there needed to be a re-emphasis of what it was we were wanting to try and do. Um, you saw that very, very quickly uh, in the game against Hearts in terms of how we were pressing so much you know, faster uh, and really straight from the off. We weren't, we weren't kind of waiting. We weren't trying for the to wait for the game to settle. It was very much from the off. We're desperate to kind of get the ball, get forward, get quick attacks on the go, not slow build up or anything. Um, so it, it was the reaction from everyone that we really needed off the back of that. Because I think if we if we saw just the same level of performance um, following what happened. I think that you're you're in real trouble uh, at that point in terms of in terms of your attitude toward the season. I think, but um, yeah, it's good. It's you know the the thumping one and then another kind of professional performance and victory and uh, midweek there. Uh, it does certainly make things feel a bit better. Certainly, and we're we're going kind to of go in the right direction again. And you know, as as I say, coaching staff has definitely played a part in that. But as you say as well, um, there are individuals who I think we should talk about within that as well, who have played their part in that and have shown their value to us, their importance for us for the rest of the season, I believe. Yeah, I want to spot this into two. So I want to talk about those those individuals, but then I also want to have a chat about mentality. Um and we'll come to that we'll come to that second. Um you mentioned the the change and the easiest way to discuss that change is what we have seen on the pitch. Now, I'm very, for anybody that listens to Tactics Talk on, on Patreon or anyone that listens to me on here or, or on Twitter, I'm very much um, against two, not defensive midfielders, but two, I've always said it, two midfielders who play behind the ball, if you like. Um, very much against that. I don't feel like it is required in the majority of, of games in Scotland. Not many big teams in such a dominant league as ourselves do that. Um, but the last two lineups we have done exactly that. We've played Lundstrom and Ryan Jack, or, or Lundstrom and, and Glenn Kamara. But I don't think anybody would say that any of them played as holding midfielders. Really, you could argue Lundstrom probably played a little bit deeper at points um, in both games. But Jack and Kamara have been quite advanced, James, uh, in those games. So for me, it comes back to this point. Yes, you're playing two more defensively minded midfielders than if you were playing um, Lundstrom sitting with, with Arfield ahead of him, for example. You absolutely are, but it's about how the players play the game and it's about how the coaches let the players play the game. For me, Jack and Kamara have been liberated in in this kind of formation because they haven't said, right, you pick the ball off the toes of the fullback and then you pass it to Lundstrom and then you pass it out to Kamara. It's been, you're playing in the team, but you're being asked to get forward and support. You're being asked to pass with intensity and aggression and get the ball forward quickly. Um, so for me, it's much more about what we're being, what we're asking the players to do rather than the specific players within the team. How have you found that that change in terms of the the aggression in possession and the pressing that Rangers have been have been doing? I think it's it's a fluidity, isn't it, in terms of what we're seeing from the centre of the park? Really, I think that's where the biggest change. Uh, well, one of sorry, the biggest changes that we've seen is you know, before you had you know, one holding player and you had your two guys in the middle who would tend to get forward. Whereas now, you know, Lundstrom, you know, he's he's playing the Lundstrom role where he will he will almost be a bit more of an anchor, but that's not 
necessarily saying that he just has to sit there and sit deep and, and do that. He's very much an aggressor in terms of looking to win the ball back. But that, you know, you know there, there is more to it than just sitting, really. Um, Jack slash Kamara, you know, they, they do have a bit more freedom to either sit a bit deeper when required to almost sit alongside Lundstrom in that back, in that back line uh, of the midfield. Uh, but when we want to get forward, they do have the freedom to push up and and to offer an extra option, and that makes an opposition defence have to think differently in terms of how they manage that, because then there's almost an, another player that they have to deal with that they almost don't expect. Um, I think the versatility of a rebel within that is quite important too, because sometimes he will play very much as the as the focal ten point, but then sometimes he'll come back to almost make a flatter midfield three at times as well um so you know i think you have to well, the way that football is now you have to have um an element of being able to mix things up in game quite a lot and before we maybe didn't have that as much with the midfield where and we maybe saw that when, when we came back that we were suffering a wee bit for that but these players that are able to be as you know, versatile within a game is what we've who we've mentioned there, particularly in the midfield. Uh, I think that has helped make a big difference, and it allows us to really put that that pressure on uh, an opposition defence, which means they can't hold the ball for anywhere near as long as what they would want to. And they're having to make decisions in terms of putting the ball up a lot quicker, uh, and then we've got a defence there ready to to sweep up the ball, and suddenly we're in possession, and these guys can move uh, into these new positions ready to attack. Uh, so I think. You know the direction of what we're trying to achieve in terms of the midfield. Uh, it definitely feels like something that makes a lot more sense to us watching from the stands. I would say it absolutely does, and I think the front three have been have been crucial in this as well. The front three isn't it's not new. It's it's been Ryan Kent, Alfredo Morelos, and and Scott Arfield, which um, players that have been here since. Gerard's very first season. It's as it's as old as time, really, in terms of what we know. Those three players can can do that front three for me from the very first minute against Hearts, and I was delighted that it that it carried on against Hibs when Hibs have possession of the ball um, with their their goalkeeper they're taking a goal kick. That front three has pressed right up to the edge of the box. Now that's not something that we've done. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we, we didn't do it very much under Gerard, and I haven't seen very much evidence of it under Van Bronckhorst until these two games. So that speaks to that kind of high pressure, high aggression, high intensity right from the front. The the, the forward three are right up on the, the Hibs defence. And it forces them to try and play it short, first of all, but then they're going to get the ball taken off them. So they have to play it long and Rangers can, can retain possession. And I think... The introduction of Scott Arfield in that for me has has been huge. He is the sixth best presser in the league. Number of pressures pressures of, a, of an opponent that he has done. He is sixth best in the league so far for this season. Um, Celtic of three of the top five, which I think James probably shows the disparity there. We've seen how, how well they pressed against us um, the other week. Uh, and I think that probably shows the disparity. The key for us would be getting more people in that. We've only actually got two in the top 10. The other one is Sakala, which I think most people may be surprised at, just in terms of the number of minutes that he's played. But in terms of watching him on the on the field, you can see he doesn't give opponents a, a minute's piece. Um, and he absolutely uh, presses well or presses often, uh, I think. So, Two in the top ten isn't great, James, but I guess the difference Arfield has has made coming in there on that right hand side, he doesn't give us consistent 
quality on the ball, but that off the ball in terms of, of pressures and his little one-touch play that he does with Morelos and Tavernier and Jack has proved pretty invaluable in these last two games. Because it gives us two different dynamics of how we attack then from the wider areas. Because if you're going down the left-hand side, then you you want Kent on the ball uh, for his ability to kind of get past the player. And we saw that on Wednesday when he won the penalty early on. That's down to, you know, defenders don't know how to, you know, what they're going to expect from Kent when he's on form. Uh, like, it kind of feels like he's kind of coming back into um, whereas with Arfield, it's, you're absolutely right. It's less about what he does on the ball. Uh, I think you know my preference would be that you know he he doesn't really need to be someone that you pass the ball to in terms of a build up to the goal. But when he's when he's in the area and you can get the ball to him in the area, then I think you know he's someone that can do really well in terms of finishing. Um, so it's about his movement when not on the ball, getting into those spaces in the area to make himself. Uh, another presence uh, which I think really works uh, and it really adds to that attacking dynamic as well I think you saw that with um, in the first half he had a header that went in it was flagged for offside in terms of where I sit I was very unsure over whether that was actually offside or not but you know one way or the other it's just an example of he's able to finish those kind of moves yeah, he has he has the instinct to do so when the delivery is right, which it was on that occasion. Um, so he has he has a very very important part of our attack, and that's one of the great things about Arfield is he can be an important player for the attack or the midfield, depending on how you, how you want to play. He is he is a talented player uh, in that respect. But I think you're right as well in terms of the pressure that adds to that, and part of that is also down to who the guy is playing at striker as well. You know his ability to be able to do that and I don't think there's any we have any other forward uh, in the team who plays as a striker that can do that as well in terms of keeping that pressure up for you know certainly at the start of the game and continuing to do that throughout the game that level of performance I think uh, you're right really yeah too. I absolutely think you're right and that that header that you mentioned that's an, inc- an incredible finish given how um how tall the, the Hibs goalkeeper is okay. You could argue maybe the play is stopped or whatever, but to actually execute that header and kind of loop it over from quite far out was brilliant. It's just a shame it was, um, it was counted as offside because that was a really really fantastic, fantastic goal. It, it has been key, um, I think absolutely. Just another point on on Sakala. Um, he's third best goals per ninety minutes in the league of of players who have played more than nine hundred minutes. So. Um, he is having an impact. We can talk about whether he's he's raw, whether he does this, whether he does that. When he's getting some time on the pitch, he is scoring goals, and that is something that that we need. He's actually, as I said, third, only behind Furuhashi and uh, Alfredo Morelos, obviously. Um, and you mentioned goals there, James. He's he's been a huge part of it. He's got nine in his last eleven, um, which uh, certainly, from memory, must be his best run uh, in the last two years, uh, two and a bit years, probably before that kind of. 2019 autumn where he was absolutely on fire he is in the best form he's been since then um he's a much more complete player since then i think people have been have been saying that for the last year or so but my criticism of him had been he is he drops deep and he links play etc but he's not getting himself in the box anywhere near enough he is now he's he's playing both sides of it again now he looks physically the fittest he's been the goal against um the goal against hibs i think was a great goal for him in terms of how he positioned his body to stay on side first of all and run through but also 
the finish, um, that's one of those ones that he usually misses because he's got so much time to to think about them. He'll hit it off the keeper, etc. But I thought it was a really emphatic finish. And you've seen the one a little bit later as well that I think was it. It wasn't flagged for offside, but he tried to chip the keeper and the keeper made a good save. He, he would never do that. He, he's not really about finesse, or he hadn't been, but that's all coming back into his play. Um, and you mentioned that one-touch build-up with, with Arfield and, and Kent, etc. coming in. That's again, has been a huge part of, of these last two games. And I thought against Hibbs, he had he had another great game. But they, it's obviously the goal scoring everybody cares about. Nine in his last uh, 11 is, is exceptional, isn't it? It's really great. Um, and it's, it's something we need is to have our main striker be someone that can have that kind of goal record um, obviously you know the best teams have got goals that are spread throughout the side but when your job is to be you know the man leading the line part of that is to score goals and we're definitely getting that from where else at the moment I think that you know he has this natural ability in terms of being able to come deep and, and, and influence the play a bit more as well but I think there was maybe too much of an emphasis on that at points and I yeah. think you know there needed to be a balance of being able to do that but at the same time be someone that can be in the box and to be ready to be in the end of moves the, the Hibs goal is a perfect example of that um being in the right place to receive the pass it's a great pass from Tavernier as well it's perfectly weighted um and you're right you see you see Morales waiting because he knows where the defense is he knows he's you know he knows what Tav is going to do because any any smart footballer is going to make that move and play that pass and Morales times the run perfectly I had no concerns over him finishing that move, to be honest with you. You're right in the past. Um, you, know, you maybe were a bit more concerned about that, but I just feel he's playing in such a way now that those kind of finishes, you just have no doubt in your mind that he's going to put that away. And you know he, he, he did so rather emphatically uh, to do it as well. So he's, his return and his... You know, from you know the international period that he was away for, and what he gives us in in terms of that forward line, he is vital, and we need him available for every game, basically um, that that we play, or someone who can do that job. But I don't think we have anyone in the squad that can combine basically all the different good aspects of what our forwards have, whether it be the hold up play, whether it be the in the box finishing, whether it be the the speed. You know, we've got other forwards that can that are good at those individual aspects. Morelos combines everything, and that's why he's at the moment our most important player. Yeah, I'm just looking at, at some of his outputs in, in previous seasons to kind of illustrate that point. In his first season in the league, he, he scored 18 goals from 117 shots uh, in 2019-20. Um, his best season, or certainly his best six months. He only got 12 league goals that season, but if you remember, he got was it. 18 goals in, in Europe, I think it was. Um, but he got 12 goals in the league from 110 shots. Last season, he got 12 goals again, but only from 80 shots. Um, so that was a big drop down. And that probably stands to reason in terms of what we've been saying, doing a bit more outside the box and, and getting in the box less. Um, so 12 from 80. This season, he's got 11 goals already from 101 shots. So he's on course to beat his best goal-scoring record and also his best in terms of number of shots taken because we still have, what is it, 12, 12 games left um, in, in the season in terms of the league. So he's on track to um, become certainly our top scorer, probably the SPFL top scorer if he continues as he is uh, and get his best, um, best return as well. So that is all positive on that side. Um, what In terms of um, 
creativity then let's talk about about that obviously the hearts game has been and gone so we'll kind of focus more on on the hibs game um we relied probably on tavernier and morelos a little bit more in this game whereas we shared the load um in the hearts game tavernier has has the most assists in the league james with 11 from from 22 games so he basically assists a goal every every other game um and not surprisingly he also creates the most chances for for teammates in our team um per 90 minutes surprisingly kent is second for us james uh mm-hmm. And that is uh, eighth in the top ten. Maybe a little bit surprising, depend based on what we what we see. But he is classed as eighth best creator um, in the league. Again, there's an argument there that we've only got two in the top ten, and and should Ryan Kent be better than eighth in the league? Uh, I would agree, but um, it, it does speak to the fact that we only have two in the top ten, um, and we have been struggling a little bit, not in the last week, but certainly struggling a little bit to create chances um relying on Tavernier a bit more than we would want uh, and maybe needing a few of the the other attacking players to to step up what was your, your take on that from from midweek I, I felt Kent and Aribo didn't have bad games but they were maybe just a little bit predictable predictable taking that extra touch wanting to beat the man a, an extra time before being a bit more decisive so it was a wee bit of a change from from Sunday for me but I didn't think they were anywhere near poor at all no, definitely not. Um, but I think I think you're right in terms of there was a there was a difference from certainly Hearts to Hibs, particularly with Kent, um, less so with Aribo. And I wonder whether that's partly down to you know the slight change in terms of how we are playing. There's maybe less of a of an emphasis on you know everything needing to go through Aribo because there was yep. there was that time where you know it was absolutely vital that he was playing and whatnot, and the idea of not having him in the team it just we couldn't fathom it. Um, but there seems to be a difference in, in, in terms of that now, given our slight change. Um, that's no bad thing. He's still more than capable of, you know, I think there was a couple of times where he looked like he was going to threaten, you know, potentially creating something um, just in the edge of the box. But you're right, there is just that that want for an extra touch, which we sometimes get from players um, before actually kind of sort of pulling something off. Uh, with Kent, I think... As the game went on, he maybe I wouldn't I wouldn't say he tired, but I think he was less unpredictable in terms of what he was trying to do. I think the same I think it was more a case of him wanting to cut inside a lot more in the second half rather than the potential of either cutting in or cutting out. He felt like you knew what he was going to do a lot more, and I think Hibbs kind of cottoned on to that toward the end of the game. Um but uh, We've we've said this about our kind of attacking midfielders this season. If you think of you know the guys going into the campaign, who were going to be key in terms of creating chances, the the two key guys were Ryan Kent and Yanis Hadji. Um, Hadji just you know will he'll obviously not be playing again this season. Um, and from what we got from him over the course of the season, there was far more barren spells than what there wasn't. Uh, and the same has been for Ryan Kent. Yes, he's seems to have kind of kicked on a wee bit and I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for him in particular in terms of what happened the previous midweek um, and and we got that there you know, he he is still someone that can threaten when he's on it and what we need from him is just that level of consistent performance and the hope is that that will just kind of continue over the next run of games and we can look back on this period and say yeah he has been a bit more important um, but there hasn't really been that same level of 
that this season, yes, there's been the injury uh, layoff that won't have helped in terms of that. But all the same, whenever he has been playing, you know, you were looking at the kind of goals and assists that he had for the season, and he was he was really low. Obviously, that you know the Hearts game has really helped in terms of the assists. Uh, column for sure but even so at this stage of the season for the type of player that we all believe him to be in terms of how important he is for our chance creation um, you would expect those stats to be higher but he's still got time to get up to the point where if you get to kind of double figures in terms of that then you say yes you know he's he's doing the bare minimum I suppose in terms of what you would expect and so he still has time to absolutely get back to that level uh, and it would really help us certainly if he is able to contribute a lot more over the next run of games for sure. Yeah, I think in terms of um, assists in the league, we've got uh, Tavernier with 11, uh, Jory uh, Morelos with 5 actually, um, Jory Bo with 4 um, and then kind of further down you've got, oh not further down, sorry, you've got Kent with 5. So that's the that's the top four that we have. Probably the top four that, that you would expect, I guess. But you're absolutely right. If we can get uh, Kent and Aribo, certainly, to be doubling those um, in the, the next 12 games, that would be that would be fantastic. Um, I, I wonder, you mentioned the, the difference between Hearts and Hibs, particularly in those two. And I wonder if it's if it's the, the loss of Bassey from, from left back. Um, against Hearts, he was... Very, very aggressive in terms of getting forward and overlapping. Um, we'll, we'll come on to speak about Barisic coming into the game, but in terms of, of the attacking part uh, against Hibs, I felt like they were almost having to coax him forward. Kent was almost having to play that pass that would entice him into the final third rather than him being there. Um, there was a confidence issue. I think everybody can see that. He had to come on, unfortunately, Leon Balligan going off injured, who... I think was great uh, against Hearts and started very well against against Hibs and hopefully isn't out for too long, um, because that would be a huge miss. But um, I felt like Barisic was very very nervous. He obviously didn't look his best, James. He, he, that tackle he, he put in was was so late um, and a deserved booking, and he just seemed timid all night. And I thought in the second half, Hibs really tried to really tried to attack that. But I wonder if not having Bassi on that side with that kind of much more energetic style, maybe stifled Kent and Ball a little bit and maybe didn't quite give them the, the outlet that they had at the weekend. It's a fair point because you can see, you know, whenever you look back in the games, you can see the kind of partnerships that are forming in terms of when Bassi, because he has a, you know, he's, he seems quite excited at the prospect of kind of getting forward and wanting to to be that type of fullback uh, rather than just be a defensive one. Whereas I think with Barisic, because you know at this point there is an expectation about what we what we want to see from him because we want him to be the left-footed version of what Tavernier is. Um, we don't quite have that same level of expectation yet. I don't think on Bassi whenever he plays there because we see him as this different style of fullback. Although I think the more and more we look at him, the more and more we see there are things that he's continuing to develop, and he is getting to that point. I think is Bassi. Um, but it's it's a confidence thing with Bassi. It's just 100% that he's he's making decisions on the ball where he doesn't, you know, he has a real issue with the idea of making a mistake. Um, because time and again he will he'll get forward but then suddenly he stops, he turns around, he looks back, he just plays the ball back any momentum we have in terms of forward movement that's then just gone and that happened a few times um, and then you get you know, tackles like that and 
you know, we talk about that in the first half, and in the second half, I think it calmed down a bit more. I think he, he leveled out a wee bit, but what I noticed toward the end of the game, when Hibs were having a few opportunities, a lot of their crosses came from their right-hand side, and Barisic was not dealing with those uh, issues at all. And you could see McGregor getting particularly frustrated with him uh, at the fact that you know Hibs were allowed to get these balls in from that side when that should be something that Barisic should be dealing with a lot better than what he was. So, you know, I think I think when you ask the question of who's who's the number one choice at left back right now, there is no question. I think in the vast majority of people's minds that it is Calvin Bassey. And you might get people turning around and saying, well, you know, we want Borna Barisic in because he should be the starting left back and you know, he should get the chance to play play through this this level of you know poor play that he's got right now. Sorry, our season's too important for that. You know, it's it's more important that we have a team that's going out there to win and we're confident with the full eleven that's there, rather than trying to get one guy's level of confidence back. So until such time as in training the manager and the coaching staff see that you know he has improved and he is feeling a bit more like himself again, then you know he shouldn't be playing unless there's no other option, like injuries that have come up again. Uh in, in terms of that, I I feel he is you know definitely I, I, it's almost worse than in his first season. You think, you know, in terms of his first season you thought at times it was just about like, he was just like a pussycat at times. He was just quite meek uh, in, in that sense. And you're thinking, is this guy really built for Scottish football? He proved that he is. He's shown that now in terms of what he did over that kind of 18-month spell. Um, but he's really regressed back to that level, and if not worse now, I think. So it's a really, really strange one. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel that Bassi definitely offers us a lot more in that position uh, and it's a kind of double jeopardy thing of you bring Borna in at left back and if you're playing Bassey as centre back, you then lose a lot of what you get with Bassey uh, as a left back. And yes, he can come forward from centre back and he has done that as well in terms of those marauding runs. But that only works against certain opponents. Other times you have to play a guy like a Balogun or hopefully a Hellander uh, alongside Goldson because the game requires that. You can't ask Bassey to do that job as well. That's not the type of defender he is. It's funny, I've learned this season um, there's just so much unpredictability uh, and quite a lot of it, I guess, has been down to how stop-start things were in the first couple of months, but um, I've lost count of the amount of times that John Lundstrom has been proclaimed the um, the Messiah and also one of the worst players ever to play for, for Rangers. Um, he's now going back through a Another Indeem summer, I think, and he has been fantastic in, in both these games. Given us that bite and aggression and intensity, setting the tempo, given us the base to, to go on, um, I think he has been great. But it is funny, isn't it, James, how that changes? We're now, you imagine this conversation between Barisic and Bassi, what, three months ago, just before Gio came in? Uh, and if we were to say uh, Bassi's the first choice left back, we'd probably be, you'd have people that say, yeah, okay, fair enough. But if we were to say, Bassi's going to go to centre-half and look more than adequate for 10-12 um, games, play in there, and then it'll be a debate between switching them between centre-back and left-back and should Barisic even play, um, all that sort of stuff. It would be incredible. Even if you look at Kamara, 
three weeks ago, we were saying Kamara is the number six now. He's going to play there every single game. This is how we're going to play. And boom, it, it just changes within um, a week. It is incredible how much it changes so often. We've been so used to a settled team for three years. I think we just want to proclaim, right, this is it. This is our first choice starting 11 now. But more and more this season, I'm, I'm finding that just absolutely impossible to call. And we're allowed to change our minds on a weekly basis because we're football fans. That's just one of the one of the perks of being a football fan that you are going to change over the course of a season. Because and Lundstrom is a prime example of that. Um, you know, it's been a, there's been a few up and downs over the course of the season. You know, he started you know poorly in terms of the expectations. He then seemed to find his position uh, and had a level of consistency. But then again, that dipped, um, and you felt when Gio came in, Lundstrom's role really seemed to be just someone to come on late on to see out a game before only a goal up. Um, and sometimes that would work and sometimes that wouldn't. Um, and you maybe thought, is he someone that's going to really have a future here? But now he feels so important to our midfield in terms of the way that he's playing. He's the, the player that keeps coming to my head when I think about John Lundstrom as we stand right now is Sasa Papach. Because Papach had that at first, where he was, you know, playing in different positions, and you know, he didn't look anywhere near as convinced. You're thinking, what on earth have we done here in terms of signing this guy? But then when we found that right way for him to play, and he would just do that week in, week out, he was consistent, missed a seven out of ten every single week. And maybe that's what John Lundstrom's going to be once we now know that, you know, this is going to be his role. He's got the right type of players around him to you know, make him flourish doing what he does and what he has done in the last few, last couple of games. Uh, and hopefully something that we continue to see from him going forward. A lot of people think about, you know, Lundstrom as being someone who comes in on a free and he's on a high wage and whatnot. But, you know, he was rated, you know, and has been rated in the Premier League as a very, very solid midfielder doing that type of role, possibly a little bit further forward. But, you know, we can be adaptable in that way. Um, you know, there's a, there's every chance that he could go on and, and, but you just one of these guys that you just have in the team week in, week out, and he does that job, and he might pop up with the occasional goal because he's not afraid to shoot from distance, but his main responsibility will be, you know, if a team is moving forward at pace from midfield, he's going to be there to try and shut that down, and he won't give up whenever he's putting in a tackle. Um, you know, he feels very reliable in that sense as we stand right now, and it's nice that he's the kind of player that can come back from that you know not criticism so much but people just writing him off really uh as as an option um it's good that we've then got him there as as someone that can do that job it's a very specific and important role for any football team i think if you're going to play that way and he can certainly do that job um as good as really any other player i can think of right now Absolutely. Okay, so great, uh, a great week for Rangers. Um, we're now at 13 games for Van Bronckhorst, which is the same amount that Gerard managed this season. So it's quite a nice time just to to take stock there in, in terms of just the pure performance. So in uh, Gerard's first 13 games of the season, he got nine wins. Uh, Van Bronckhorst has has 10. Gerard got three draws and a loss, and Van Bronckhorst is two draws and one loss. So performing better, uh, Gio is absolutely performing better uh, in that side. In terms of goals scored, 26 goals for, for Gio, 29 for, for Gerard, so three less. But 
only eight conceded for for Gio and thirteen for for Gerard. So five less for Gio, and I guess James, when you factor in um, six of those for Van Bronckhorst came in in two chaotic games in the space of of four days. Um, things are looking very good from a defensive point of view, and as we said on tactics talk last week, we're not far away in terms of the the attacking side of it in terms of the number of goals scored. But it's really pleasing to see that not only does he have um, more points, what is that, 32 points compared to, can't do my maths here, compared to 30 that that, that Gerard had. Mm. Um, he is doing better on that side. But I think importantly, James, is Gerard had Celtic, Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen at home uh, in that run, whereas Van Bronckhorst played them all uh, away. So he has had a, a much more difficult 13 games on paper than than um, Gerard had. And to come through that, I guess overall, we can debate the minutia of the drop points, etc. But to come through that overall uh, and be two points up um, on Gerard is, is really, really pleasing, I think. And he's also coming in mid-season. Yes. Well, that's the other thing. It's you know he's he's coming in and Gerard had time to build you know his squad, the squad in his image. You know, Geo, let's face it, for the vast majority of those games, and you know to, still to an extent now he's working with players that you know he's he's effectively been given to start with. Um, now a lot of those players clearly work in terms of the way that he wants to play, and that's that's really helped in terms of that. But it's still a tough ask. So you know, I, I think. People talking about you in terms of that run of games, that where we were dropping points and whatnot, and yeah, that's it's it's not good. But you know, it's about how you know are we seeing a reaction to that? And I think we have been seeing a reaction to that now, which is which is important. Um, so you know, he's you know, so long as that bounce back continues in terms of the next run of games, particularly in the league, you know, I think your know, people's whenever there was any kind of understandable reactionary opinion of 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 Gio as a manager based on what had happened. Yeah, that's that's done now and we're we're kind of at a level where we're seeing a lot better play from us now at least. Um but yeah stats don't lie in situations like that and I think you know taking into context a lot of other things as well uh, is important and shows that you know, he is he is doing a very good job so far, uh, but that won't matter uh, either way, depending on what happens in terms of the absolute end of the season, the final result, because that's all that people ultimately are going to care about. Yeah, absolutely. On to the weekend then, or tomorrow I should say, uh, and we've got uh, Annan in the Cup. Another League 2 team, James, we've seen a... Um, Tweaked lineup for for Stellan Albion. Uh, there wasn't a what you would call raft of youth player raft of changes coming in. Um, it was still pretty um, pretty experienced. Obviously, Lowry came on, but that was for for Hadji's injury. Uh, press conferences today. It looks like Hellander will will start or will certainly be be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like Balogun's injury isn't as bad as first thought, which is good news. I don't know what the timescale is on that. I don't know if they thought it was going to be three months and it'll only be one. Hopefully not. It, it sounds like it won't be won't be too long, which is which is good news certainly with Hellander not in the the Euro squad for for Thursday night. Uh, the manager said Ryan Jack will return to training on Monday. Going to assume then that he is not involved uh, on Saturday, um, which I, I guess is is 
bad news, but he has said that Aaron Ramsey is fit to start. So, James, we can have our, our debates about whether Hellander and Ramsey should be playing on, on the type of surface down there. But in terms of getting minutes in their legs in a game, um, there probably aren't really any better. What, what do you think in terms of um, both of them starting and any other tweaks to the starting lineup that you would make, particularly with a big week coming up with Dortmund twice and uh, Tannadice away? Yeah, and I think that should be part of the consideration, to be honest, in terms of the lineup that we go with for, for Annan, because let's face it, we should be able to put out a team against Annan and, and progress in the cup, you know. So whatever type of team that we, we decide to go with, that should do the job. Um, should we be giving Hellander the chance to get a bit of a run out prior to, you know, certainly the Dundee United game? Uh, I, I think that would make perfect sense. Um, do we give guys who are going to play consistently over the next few weeks, do we give them the opportunity to have a bit of a rest on that surface? Um, you know, we do have a big squad and it is a squad that we could possibly use a bit more to its to its potential, I suppose, in this game. Um, but it comes back to the surface thing. You know, do, do we want guys who are a bit more injury prone to be playing on on a synthetic pitch? I think that's, that's a fair question uh, to ask. I know I'd maybe be a, bit, a little bit more uh, concerned about it, but at the same time, I think the chance for someone like Aaron Ramsey to get a start and to get a feel for kind of what the game is like from the get-go uh, in this country would be a good thing. Um, and when you've got a player like that of quality, that should that should be more than enough to help you kind of get through the game. I would say so. I, I would I would say if you've got the chance to start Helmer and Ramsey, even give them sixty minutes or something like that in the game, make sure it's done, and then you can bring them off. Uh, I think that would be a perfectly fine way fine way of doing that. I don't know what you think. Yep, yeah, no, completely agree. Um, I'd also like to see Zakowski and and Diallo as well. Um, that would be great. Wouldn't mind seeing Alex Lowry as well, James, but I don't know. Obviously, B team are playing the the same the same day. I don't know if that rule. I don't even know if that rule is a thing. Is it a nasty rumor that you can't play more than five games for the first team and and then not play for the the lone league? Um, is that five league games or five games in total? I don't know. Um, if you can shed any light on that, great. But if not, I would like to see Lowry get a bit of a bit of game time as well. But I think definitely Sikowski and Diallo just to get a bit more. Um, of a view of Diallo and to actually see Zakowski and see what type of player he is because I'm quite interested in seeing him he's had a very good write-up from a few people that I know in terms of his his ability albeit he is he is still quite young that could be could be an interesting one that might fly under the radar so that would be what I would be looking to get out of tomorrow as well as obviously a, a win. Zakowski is obviously a name that would uh, make sense I guess for a game like this just to give him you know, give fans an opportunity to see what it is that he can do. Um, I would absolutely start Alex Lowry. Um, to be fair, I, I, either way, in terms of you know the different kind of B team permutations, uh, in terms of that, of which my understanding is, you know, five first team appearances uh, would then rule you out uh, of being able to play, um, whether that be in league or cup. But I don't think that's that should be something that should necessarily prevent. You know, Lowry from making you know the start in this game because I think he's more than capable of of doing that job. Uh, probably playing the position that Aribo you know plays. That I wouldn't have him any deeper to be honest. He can play on you know maybe in one of the wider attacking areas as you maybe saw from the Sevilla game which we might touch on. Um, 
you know, so he, he could play a number of different roles, but I think that that game absolutely makes sense for him to play in. Um, I, I, you know, thinking in terms of other kind of younger guys, really the only other one you'd maybe consider, I suppose, is Leon King. Um, he'd maybe be one that you would look at if you were wanting to give Hellander a chance to say, right, you can come off now. You've had a kind of game game time under your legs now. Um, bring on Leon King to kind of see out the rest of the game. I'd be very comfortable with that idea. Uh, but other than that, you know, guys like Zakowski, guys like, well, you know, do you maybe play fashion? Uh, do you maybe play Kimmer Roof? I would imagine John McLaughlin would uh, would start in a game like this as well. Um, and the question over Barris, it should be an interesting one, whether whether this would be a game that you would play him in just to see, you know, can you get a few good crosses in to set up a few goals? Does that maybe help you in terms of that? He should be more than capable uh, in a game like that to do that. So there's a lot of different ways that you could go in terms of that. I'd be surprised if the style and the formation setup was as unique possibly as what we saw um against sterling for instance where it was a kind of a hybrid of a back four and then a back three depending on what we wanted to do i don't think we'd see that as much i think we want to continue just playing the same kind of shape that we've got right now um but yeah we come it comes back to this point of no matter what system we go with no matter what plays we put out there it should be enough for us to progress to the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup, you would like to think. Absolutely. Um, fingers crossed that we, we do just that. OK, James, last thing for, for tonight then. Let's finish off with a little B-team update. There have been uh, one game this week. It was in the UEFA Youth League against Sevilla. How did they get on? It was a tough game, Um partly down to the surface that both sets of players were playing on, um, which I know, I know that was a big thing for a lot of people watching, thinking, what on earth are we seeing here? Um, it was not a good look, obviously, uh, but you know, the teams kind of went out there and had to do what they did. I thought the, the boys started the game well, they had the, the better kind of momentum of the attack, but then Sevilla came into the game more and more. Uh, they have... This Carlos Alvarez, who just looks like the young Diego Maradona, to the point where you're thinking, what was Diego doing in Spain, you know, <laughs> 20 years ago on this day, etc., etc.? Because he just looks, you know, he's, he wears a number 10 and he's left-footed and he just is everything went through him and says that. And of course, he was the guy who ultimately got the only goal of the game, uh, but it was quite a scrappy goal in the end, and I think. A lot of that comes down to the way that our defence just wasn't able to deal with the situation enough. Uh, a very good learning experience for the boys, I think, in terms of the way that Sevilla then managed the rest of the game. They tried to kind of, they, they very much have, were playing a different type of game in, in terms of winding up to the point where they got one of their players sent off, uh, of course. Um, but, you know, I think that'll be something that you're going to come up against over over your footballing career and how do you deal with that I think is an important thing for them um, but this is the thing that I was thinking that we're only a few years ago at the same stage we played against another Spanish team in Atletico Madrid and we were thumped 4-0 this is only a 1-0 defeat uh, and on another day had we taken a couple of the late chances that we got in the game it could have been a very very different story uh, for me, that's as sure a sign as any that there is absolute progression going on in, in that respect. Uh, and we are seeing the benefits of that 
Uh, and, you know, the boys will get back to it in the Lone League game on Saturday at 12 uh, in Dumbarton against East Stirlingshire. If you're not going to the game against Annan uh, and you're looking for something to do uh, at noon, you know, come along to the Dumbarton Stadium and watch these guys play. Um, you know, there's some there's some very talented youngsters in there and, you know, we're continually seeing more and more guys coming through and, you know, getting the opportunities and playing a different type of game rather than just friendlies all the time. Um, and they certainly thrive off a, off a support that comes along to watch them. So if you've got the opportunity to do so, then please do. Absolutely, absolutely. You get along if you if you can and you're, and you're free. Okay, um, James, that will do us for tonight. Thank you for joining me. It was a pleasure to hear from you. No, thank you, Adam. And thank you all for listening. As ever, if you aren't uh, a subscriber on Patreon, why not? You really should be. You can join us at patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. David will be back on Monday with a full review on the free flagship show of the, the game against Annan. So we'll speak to you all then. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Have you tried the Rangers Pools question of the week? Answer this week's question for the chance to win exclusive Rangers prizes such as match day tickets, signed merchandise, plus there's an Edinson House package up for grabs. This week's question is, who was manager of Rangers for the victory over Dynamo Moscow in 1972? Think you know the answer? Then go visit www.rangerspools.com and click on the Question of the Week banner on the homepage. Also remember, every time you play Rangers Pools, you are supporting the club and the build of new Edmondson House, almost being in to win some huge cash prizes. Best of luck. Sports Social Podcast Network.